User grind staff publishing audio files. Room to Rome, Chapter 19, North Atlantic. Note: What follows is taken directly out of the author's journal. December 5th, 2015, 10:15 p.m. I didn't think I would do this, but here it is: a real-time journal about a small but crazy important piece of my three-month trip. Right now, I'm on a ferry, an empty ferry, in a small town in Denmark called Frederikshavn. The wind has been blowing a gale from the moment I got off the train this morning and I had been sure since that moment the trip to Iceland had been cancelled. The good part? It's not cancelled. The bad part? It's not cancelled yet. But why am I on a ferry in Denmark? Why aren't I on a beach in Portugal soaking up sun and getting ready to spend a relaxing flight back home from Lisbon? Because this is what I do. Back in the very beginning of this trip, somewhere in Scandinavia with Reed, maybe Finland, I had heard about a ferry which left Denmark and went to Iceland and instantly I was hooked. That was around three months ago, and I didn't act on it. December was a long way away, and I didn't want to book anything more than a couple days in advance to secure the freedom of the trip. I let it go and told myself I probably wouldn't go through with it, and left it at that. Unfortunately, that is not how my brain works, and I've been thinking about it ever since. But why Iceland? Why do I have to go back up to a frozen tundra in December? That is a whole other story involving last-minute ticket buying in New York before the trip even began. Due to certain events, I was forced to buy a return ticket with Iceland Air, which, as one can guess, mostly operates out of Iceland. So back in America, I made the rash decision to fly back home from Reykjavik in December without thinking of the ramifications that would entail. Fast forward to Italy and the conversation begins to turn to making a full circle. As I said before, my brain works in strange ways. Some would say arrogant, self-absorbed ways, but I say strange. Once an idea which sounds beyond the norm gets into my head, I begin to expand it. The expansion only stops once the idea morphs into something so extreme that few other sane people would go through with said idea. As soon as this happens, the idea starts to become a reality. Here's what I mean. I had a simple problem. Get to Iceland to fly out the 11th of December. Simple solution. Fly out of any major airport in mainland Europe to Reykjavik and catch the flight no problem. The issue with that plan is the ease by which it can be accomplished. There is no story behind it. No thrill. The only thing exciting about it are the locations from which I would be flying. Most people would do this plan, and they should. It's stress-free, it's easy, there is virtually no risk. This is where my off-kilter brain takes over. Why take a direct flight when there is a ferry involved? I'd be going from the tip of Denmark to the Faroe Islands and off to eastern Iceland in December. What are the problems with that? For one, the North Atlantic is an unforgiving bitch on a good day, and I'm going to be heading up there when she's really ready to give it her all. Two, I won't even be going to Reykjavik, but to a super small town on the exact opposite side of the country. Three, there are few reliable means of transportation to get from eastern to western Iceland. And to top all this off, I had to sign an agreement that essentially said if weather prohibits the ferry from making the trip and you can't get to your destination, it's on you and there is no refund. So there's that. All my idiocy aside, from what I understand, there is a hell of a bout of bad weather in the exact direction we are supposed to be going. According to a group of apathetic ship workers, we are staying put for tonight, then tomorrow at 10.30 a.m., we are heading up to Herschel's, the place we were supposed to leave from, loading cargo trucks and such for about an hour, then starting the trek to the Faroe Islands. The weather for the morning looks okay, and if it stays like that, then Iceland is a go, but if not, then we turn around and head back to Denmark. The ferry has to be back by Wednesday night, so there is a deadline. 
Not a bad thing since that gives me time to book a last minute and expensive ticket home. But at least it'll be home. Anyway, that's why I got into this madness of an adventure I wanted to have in any other way. We shall see what the morning brings. December 6th, 2015, 10.14am. I was up until 3 this morning and talked to a guy born and raised in the Faroe Islands. Multiple times during our talk, he reassured me this ferry never cancels. Apparently, I booked the most resilient ferry in the fleet since his main purpose is a cargo liner. The entire bottom section is one giant hole for shipping containers and such and is a main lifeblood for the Faroe Islands and Iceland for supplies. This has made me extremely happy last night after he said it, and I really believe him. The only issue? The crew of the ferry do not seem nearly as confident as he is. Everyone I ask gives me really spotty answers, and they always end with a shrug and a, that is, if we make it to Iceland. Not the best thing to say to someone who is heading there, but whatever. On a less pessimistic note, this is the first ferry I've taken in which I had a cabin. After chatting about politics and differences between the United States and Faroe Island people, the Faroese, we both retired to our cabins. It turns out the Faroe Islands guy upgraded to a private cabin, while I, on the other hand, went for the ultra-economy option of a four-person berth cabin. Up until the first post, it was just me and my Afghani roommate, but when I got back, I was met with two strangers dead asleep. If this had been three months ago, this would have been weird. Walking into a dark room with people you had never met, then falling asleep. But after the amount of hostels I've stayed in and the number of times this very thing has happened, I've gotten used to it. The earplugs went in and the little light went out and it was good night for me. Upon waking this morning, I met the guy sleeping in the bunk above me. A nice bearded man from Iceland, he too reassured me we would be making it to the frozen north. The issue, he said, was not so much the snow, Iceland can handle the snow, but the intense wind. Apparently the wind is so strong that it is throwing rocks and breaking car windows and stripping the paint off cars. I told him my plan about taking a bus to Reykjavik and he said it will be fine. Once again, the locals are extremely confident in us arriving, it just seems to be a matter of when. December 6th, 2015, 1.28pm. We've stopped. The ferry was going unbelievably slow since we began at 10.30 this morning and it turns out that was planned. Now we are halfway between Frederikshavn and the jetting out point to the northeast of Denmark, essentially safe from the open water. The game plan, according to the announcement of the intercom, is we are going to stay here until midnight then make our way to Herschel's, with the planned arrival time being 5 in the morning. I've explored the ship a bit and have been let down on the amenities. Like my luck with trains, it's always a short duration transport to have everything you need but the long ones have nothing. This ferry has super expensive food and drinks. The cinema, which in other ferries has always been free, costs so much to watch out-of-date movies, but there is one shining beacon in all this, the tax-free store. These are common in Europe, especially in countries with a ridiculously high sales tax. I ended up buying a six-pack of Faroe Islands lager for $7, the steal when considering one cancel at the diner is $3 by itself. Once my treasure was bought, I went to the very top and found a nice covered area with no one around. I sat down, opened a beer, and began reading in peace. Another problem. The gale is getting worse. A gale force wind is something like greater than 45 miles per hour wind blowing across water. Up here on the top of the ship, the wind is howling and that is not an exaggeration. I have not heard wind like this since fishing in Alaska. The ship is stopped, which means the entire thing is rocking back and forth with a vengeance. Luckily, I don't get seasick and I'm on board with Scandinavians, which don't seem phased by the weather in the slightest. There is comfort in reading a book and drinking a beer in an enclosed, plexiglass enclosure while outside elements are raging. There is also solace in the calm everyone has around me. Anywhere else in the world, this would be a frantic situation, but these people are descended from Vikings, and they don't stop worrying until the beer is gone. December 7th, 2015, 1019 AM. We're heading to Torshav and Faroe Islands. 
Early this morning around 3, I woke to the boat rolling and rocking and knew we were on our way to Hertzschel's, but with bad seas. I went back to sleep with a letdown feeling in my gut and was fully anticipating waking up to the announcement of cancellation. When I got out of bed at 9.30, the ship was slightly rolling and knew we were at cruising speed. Taking a shower and getting dressed in the complete darkness with no windows lookout sheltered me from the realities of the outside world. Opening the cabin door, I hurried to a window and was greeted with a relatively calm sea and sunlight, the first true sunlight I had seen since London. A smile ran across my face and I went to the message board. Arrival at Torshav and Faroe Islands, Tuesday at 6pm, departure 7pm. So, if all goes to plan, which there is absolutely no telling, we should be to Iceland no later than Thursday. The only problem with planning out here is this is in North Atlantic in December. Storms could pop up at any time and totally derail our plans for further advancement. But the ferry captain was confident enough to take on cargo trucks and begin the voyage which costs money and time, so there has to be a plan with some kind of certainty in making it to our destination. And if all else fails, I will get to at least see the Faroe Islands, not enough time to get off and explore which will make me happy anyway. December 7th, 2015, 12.01pm. Free food! A large Icelandic man came up to me just after I'd eaten my meal of peanut butter sandwich with cool American Doritos and explained to me how this ferry operates. If we are more than six hours delayed from our destination time, the food in the diner becomes free. The man defined jovial and made a semi-waddle beeline toward the buffet. Thinking how bad his timing was, I contemplated if I should take up the free food or be content with my meager meal. The answer didn't take long to present itself. Whenever food is free, it usually isn't the best quality, and I set my standards low as I followed the hulking Icelandic man toward the buffet line. What lay before us was a beautiful display of fish, potatoes, steamed carrots, and the makings for spaghetti bolognese, Keeping in mind I had just eaten a meal, I took some of each and savored each bite. It was so good to have a proper meal, something I have only had a few times on this trip in order to save on cost. My Afghani roommate came and sat next to me and we discussed how his day had gone yesterday, and after we finished eating he decided to explore the ship. On the very top deck where I had been the day previous, he showed me a steel door which led to the front of the ferry. This is my fifth ferry on this trip and I have yet to be able to go to the front of the ship. I'm not entirely sure we were allowed up there, but the view was spectacular. The sea is so calm today and the wind almost non-existent, completely opposite of the last few days in Denmark. Once we ascended the stairs we were met with southern Norway stretching for as far as we could see on the right side, starboard, of the ferry. Taking out my phone I pulled up Google Maps and got an idea of where we were in the world. Norway was jutting out to our right, Denmark was to our lower left and the Faroe Islands were directly ahead. Times like these always made me smile. We were sailing in the heart of Scandinavia, the same route taken by many a seagoer for however many centuries. Whenever someone had asked me why I was taking a ferry to Iceland instead of flying, I knew the answer was what I was seeing right then. How many times in my life would I look at a map and see where I am right now, or go to the top deck of a Danish ferry, look out and see Norway stretching as far as I see now? December 8th, 2015, 10.17am. The worst storm since 1991 is happening right now in Iceland. All the roads are shut down, there are massive power outages, and the rescue workers have been told to only go out if the situation is life or death. Currently, we are halfway between the Shetland Islands and the Faroe Islands, officially in the North Atlantic, and the seas are calm and the sun is shining. This is the nature of weather, constantly changing and always unpredictable. Last night before dinner, my Icelandic roommate, Victor, came over and sat next to me. I had been struggling to write a story for the better part of an hour and finally got it going. Because of this, I was a bit short with him in talk, but... He was patient and I decided talking to an Icelander was more important than writing a story. I closed my tablet and he gave me the news he had heard. It looks like we are going to make it. Last night I was talking to some Faroese guys, drinking whiskey until 5 this morning and they told me we had two options. 
The first, we would miss a storm and get to Iceland late Wednesday night. The second, the storm would stick around and we would have to hang out in the Faroe Islands for a week. He said the last part with a smile, the same kind of ironic smile the entire boat shared because they knew no one could control the weather and there is no point in making a fuss out of that understanding. For the next hour, we talked about the storm happening and how people in Iceland were taping their windows to prevent them from blowing out, and he showed me videos of car wrecks and road conditions. The entirety of Iceland is shut down until further notice, and will take a bit of time to get back to normal. I then asked him the logistics of getting from eastern Iceland, the point that ferry would drop us off, then on to Reykjavik, and he took a deep breath with big eyes and stroked his blonde Icelandic beard. It's not an easy trek. To get out of Sjöstvidjör, you must first climb a winding mountain road, steep and sketchy. Once that is done, you must go down it, and if it's icy, then it's even more dangerous. Within a few hours, you'll get to a small town called Elgisadatr, which has an airport which I suggest you'd use to make your flight. If you don't, then the roads of Reykjavik are slow and tedious. We have shit for public transport. Since you have a deadline, I would recommend the bus. The bus won't get stuck, and those drivers are completely used to these kinds of drives. From Sedistidur to Reykjavik will take about 12 hours, give or take a couple. With a shrug, he grabbed his beer and took a long drink. For the hundredth time this trip, I felt like kicking myself out of my naivete. I drastically underestimated the size of Iceland and their road systems. Thinking maybe six hours across, I figured even arriving on Friday morning wouldn't be that big of a deal. My search for adventure sometimes puts me in situations with which I have no control, and these are disturbing sometimes, but always fun retrospectively, so I keep doing them. Like Louis the Moore said, I believe adventure is nothing but a romantic name for trouble. As the conversation dropped off for contemplation between myself and the Icelander, we both checked our phones and saw it was almost dinner time. Our Afghani roommate came over, and the three of us went to dish our place with some traditional Danish food and a beer, all for free. Sitting down, we got to talking about our backgrounds and what we do and how we came to be on a ferry heading to Iceland. Before starting, I understood that I was the only American on the boat. This has happened a few times during the trip when everyone else around me is local, but I am the American, and it feels extremely good to have that position. I told them about my Alaskan fishing and my trip around Europe and mountain climbing in school. Like most, they seemed surprised at how many interests I have, and I felt good to share some stories from the Europe trip I was soon to be completing. The next to share was Victor, the Icelander. At 34 years old with blonde beard, short on the sides and combed back top for hair, thick framed glasses and wool socks his mother had knitted for him, he was nothing short of the stereotypical Icelander. He explained his art to us and showed us some pictures, it was astonishingly good. A kind of abstract realism or realist impressionism, he melded real life animals and landscapes with abstract ideas within them. They were quite beautiful and he was impressively talented. Studying in France mostly and painting in Iceland gave him his unique flair for color and realist subjects. He was heading to see his family for Christmas in a small town a few hours south of Reykjavik while he worked on the art projects he had thought up on his travels around Europe. The Afghani was a shy man. With English being his third language, I think it was out of self-consciousness why he didn't speak as much as the Icelander and I, which is a lot. The Icelander asked him how he came to live in Sweden, and what we got was an astonishing story. I was born in a small village in Afghanistan and had an okay life there. I was teaching adults when I got captured by the Taliban. They had me for a month and they made my father pay $20,000 to get me out. Once I got out, I escaped to Iran and met a girl. We became close and we had some nights together and she got pregnant. Her father and brother told her they would kill me, so we decided to escape into Turkey. The borders of Iran are dangerous because there are no guards, but trip wires, which if your foot goes past them, they start shooting. We got shot at many times, but it was dark and they couldn't see where to shoot. We paid some people at the Turkish border to get us through and we made it to west side of Turkey. At night, 40 of us got onto a small raft with a motor and drove across the water into Greece. 
Once my girlfriend and I got to Greece, we bought tickets to Sweden and have been there for two years. The Icelander and I were stunned. I can't believe we heard that story in person, Victor exclaimed, taking his glasses off and rubbing his eyes. I was almost speechless, only able to say, yeah, that's an amazing story, or something stupid like that. The Afghani went on. Once I get back from seeing my friends in Reykjavik, I want to write a book about my experiences so people know what is going on in my home country. I nodded my head and told him how great of an idea that was and how I would read that book absolutely. We asked him how he liked Sweden and if he ever felt threatened being there or if he would ever consider going back to his home country. He explained as long as the Middle East keeps using Islam as their main religion, there is no hope for peace there. Starting off as a Muslim, he said they are taught to despise anyone who wasn't Muslim and to strike them down whenever he saw a Christian. That is why he converted to Christianity and adopted the name Adam as his Christian name. Muhammad was his birth name. It was obvious the conversation was getting heavy for him and his eyes began to tear up and his voice began to crack. Victor reacted wonderfully and told him, let's not talk of those things. They make us sad and we are very far from Afghanistan and all that bullshit. You know it is going to be cold in Iceland, yeah? With that, we all three began laughing and the situation became easygoing and joking between three men on a boat heading into a storm in the North Atlantic. Both the Icelander and Afghani began feeling the symptoms of seasickness after a while and the Afghani decided it best to head back to the bunks to lie down. We all went back to the cabin and I got my last can of beer and my jacket, and Victor and I decided to head to the top deck to see what we could see on the open sea. We had heard we were getting close to some huge Norwegian oil rigs and wanted to see if we could get a glimpse of the shooting flames in the dark, crisp air. Not able to see the flames, we only saw green and yellow lights spotting in the distance and knew what they were. Being on the boat in the darkness is one of the most soothing things I have ever experienced. It happened for the first time in Alaska when we would drop anchor in an inlet somewhere and turn the engine off. The silence was absolute and the subtle rocking of the boat was as good as any mother's arms rocking a babe to sleep. We're not to see there's a similarity. Only being able to see a short ways out, the entire world seems so far away, so empty. There is nothing to worry about because the isolation is so absolute. There is nowhere to go and nothing to do but talk to other passengers and try to pass the time. Victor and I found a seat under a heat lamp and opened our beers. Before long, an extremely large Faroese man, one of the men Victor had been up drinking with the night before, sat down named Jakob. Probably in his late 40s, a man was hulking, as so many Scandinavian men are. Jakob was drunk and working on a joint, but he was clear enough to formulate sentences and make jokes about the ferries sinking and comparing it to the Titanic. There is that humor I was beginning to get used to. The never-take-it-seriously humor they used to mask or deal with the stresses of being on an unforgiving sea in December. The three of us began talking about all manner of things until we got into Jakob's history and I was blown away. The man defined the badass Scandinavian. Before he was on this ferry, he was in the north of Norway training dogs and dog sledding, but he had to sell all his dogs due to a knee injury and head on to the Faroe Islands to see his wife and daughters. He told us stories of when he was a sailor on cargo ships all across the North Atlantic, including brief stints crossing near Greenland and docking on Gloucester, Massachusetts, and how as a disaster for the seas were so rough, the cargo would be beat to ship at the time they arrived there. After a few more beers, we got back on the topic of dog sledding, and his passion for it came out as strong as anything. It's the greatest sport in the world. The bond between man and dog is so strong. They have a love for you and you for them. They would do anything for you. I remember one trip we were in Norway going through trees at night and I looked up at the GPS and saw we were going 36 kilometers per hour. The next thing I knew I woke up surrounded by my dogs. I had fallen off the sled from exhaustion and they turned around and surrounded me. I woke up in a fur blanket and I was in heaven. Usually the lions get tangled and this wouldn't work but for some reason that one time it did and it saved my life. Jakob told the story so simply but with vigor and the truth of it came through gleaming. There is no need for adjectives or powerful verbs. He just told the story as if no one was listening, but we all were. 
He went on to tell me about the biggest ambition in life, to circumnavigate the globe on dog sled. My mouth dropped. How amazing is that? This is the year 2015 and there are people out there with ambitions like that. It seemed to confirm all my crazy ambitions, which were nowhere near his in scope, and everyone kept telling me to reel mine in and focus on smaller goals. This man wanted to be the first to go around the world on a dog sled, and with his demeanor and truth in his stories, I could absolutely see him doing it. Amazing people like this exist in the world today, and I hope they never go away. Real people who have ambitions that are spectacular and fly under the radar and truly want to conquer a part of the world before they die. It's an old way of thinking and one the world should hope it never loses. The rest of the night was spent drinking more beers with some Faroese guys and listening to one of them play some American songs on his guitar in an empty bar. At one in the morning the bar closed and we all said goodnight and retired to our rooms. As I crawled into my bunk amidst the snoring of my roommates, I lay awake thinking of the stories I had heard from a few miraculous people. It confirmed my satisfaction in this part of the world and made me happy I chose this form of travel. The possibility of missing my flight on Friday is increasing, but as of now, I'm okay with it. Safety is first, but closely second is a voyage, and this voyage has been one of the main highlights of my trip thus far. December 10th, 2015, 5.06 p.m. At 5.30 p.m. on December 8th, we arrived in Torshavn, Faroe Islands. It was to be a quick offload and go, so none of us could get off the ship and explore like so many of us thought. I was okay with it. The quickness meant that people in charge had more than aspirations to make it to Iceland, and my confidence increased. Earlier in the day, my Icelandic friend came to me and said, We are going to make it to Iceland by 1 o'clock tomorrow. This is lucky since they thought we would have to spend a week in the Faroe Islands waiting at a storm. By this time I was nearly immune to these kinds of statements. They stopped bothering me, and I had come to accept the fact that there is at best a 50% chance I would make my flight home on Friday. Everyone went outside to watch the Faroe Islands get closer and make out the beauty shrouded in the darkness. Torsham is the capital of the Faroese, and its population is only around 15,000, but the way it is situated it seems much larger. Everywhere we looked, no matter the vantage point on the ferry, it seemed like there were houses engulfing every inch of the land. Some of the Faroese guys I have been talking to for the past few days started getting proud of where they came from and told me a rushed history of the islands and how they had boomed the past decades. It was nice to see strong men get emotional about where they came from. In fact, it is nice to see men of that caliber show any emotion at all, and when they do, the ground shifts and light shines through the cracks and everything seems a bit brighter because of it. The Icelanders who remain and I said our goodbyes to the Faroese, wishing them lucky and happy holidays. A few of us stayed on the top deck drinking Faroese beer and chatting about the beauty the small town below possessed. The layout of the buildings were most definitely Danish-influenced. It reminded me so much of the Nyhaven district in Copenhagen with its multicolored facades accentuated by bright white windowsills. The numerous shipping containers and freight filled with frozen fish came out from underneath us, soon followed by people in their vehicles. The wind was becoming arctic and it blew with a bitter gust and all of us decided to go back into our viewing area and await departure. Those who were left, perhaps no more than 20, sat in the viewing area and talked about the plans each had once they arrived in Iceland. Victor the Icelander, who I had been talking for the past few days, broke the conversation with, Where is Adam going? I looked up just as our Afghani roommate walked by the open door with suitcase behind him and two large, plain-clothed men on either side of him as if escorting him. Giving myself a push, I jumped from my seat and ran to ask him where he was going. I was too late, only seeing the last glimpse of him as he turned the corner of the exit ramp. I bet that was the last time we will see him again, said Victor with sincerity and a matter-of-factness so prevalent in his culture. The ferry departed Torshavn around 8 o'clock and the rest of the night was spent with the two of us running through scenarios in which the Afghani could have been taken off the boat. After a few beers and many a run-through, we came up with a basic solution. 
His status in Europe was most assuredly a refugee or immigrant one, and he probably took the ferry to skirt around any kind of strict border control Iceland would have. Unfortunately for him, and maybe fortunately for us, Torshavn had a strict customs situation he probably got questioned. And once he couldn't produce the proper paperwork, he got asked to leave. The story he told us of leaving Afghanistan sounded true, and the way he broke down about his safety concerns seemed extraordinarily real, but no one ever knows who people are when traveling, and all of that could have been a lie. On the other hand, Iceland is known for being exceptionally sensitive with people of Middle Eastern descent, and it might not have been a coincidence that only non-Caucasian person on the boat was asked to leave. We will never know. As I was heading for the cabin to end the day, the night's weather forecast came over the intercom. Winds gusting up to 45 miles per hour with 18 to 20 foot seas. I smile with a bit of masochistic enjoyment from the rough weather and crawl into the bunk with glee. Throughout the night, I awoke several times getting moved up and down with an occasional crash from the bow slapping the sea. It was a long night. Not from seasickness, but the knowledge we were getting closer to Iceland and I had absolutely no concrete plans on how to reach Reykjavik. My nerves were frayed from the past week of not knowing and so many times that night I woke in cold sweat, not knowing the future. Hard to sleep with that cocktail of emotions. Waking the next morning, I felt terrible. My stomach would not settle from the anxiety. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't shake it. With the ship still going through rough seas, the entire cabin would heave unexpectedly and jolt me to one side or the other. I was cranky and irritable with it all, and rushed out to find a window to take in what I was sure to be a beautiful view. I sat in my normal spot in the viewing room with no one around and I heard we would arrive in Sigisfjordur around 2 o'clock that afternoon. A group of Icelanders came in and began their usual dialogue. The same the older men of all cultures do, and I tried to ignore them and read my book, having no one for any interaction with my terrible mood. Lunchtime came and I decided to spend the ridiculous sum of $20 for one meal. It was salmon and tasted amazing, but the ship's prices were just out of control. Victor sat next to me, without food, and told me he had been talking to an older Icelandic man who was planning on making the trip to Reykjavik as soon as we landed. I couldn't believe my ears. All morning I was trying to work out bus and plane fares, with each being amazingly expensive and each leaving me stranded in super small towns overnight. My spirit perked and I finished my meal to meet the man. The man was standing in the viewing area looking to be around 60 years of age with an athletic build and earnest eyes. We shook hands and without hesitation he accepted me as a passenger. I offered to help with gas money, but he refused, telling me conversation was payment enough on the 12-hour ride across the country. I thanked him profusely and went back to my cabin to pack my bag and get ready for departure. Amazing how traveling works sometimes. For hours I had been stressing about money and time, and if I'd be able to make the flight on Friday when, within a few minutes, I secured a free ride as soon as we docked. The people you meet are amazing all over. The ferry entered one of the eastern fjords of Iceland around 1 o'clock and the view was astonishing. All the young travelers went to the top deck to battle the icy cold winds to get a view of the miraculous nature all around us. The sun was beginning to get low in the sky and shone with a red intensity through the clouds and cast a pink hue complementing the blue of the sky. We passed small farms right along the water, so far removed from the nearest town and I couldn't help but smile at how remote they were. Around two, the ferry docked and I found the man who was giving me a ride and we descended the stairs towards his car. I said goodbye to Victor and thanked him so much for talking to me throughout the voyage and connecting me with a free ride. We shook hands, exchanged information, and I hopped inside the vehicle heading west. A cross between a truck and a van with burly tires and a tough exterior, the vehicle had all the makings of something fit to thrive in Iceland. The Icelander introduced himself as Einar, and at first I thought him a bit odd, but I got a good vibe when we trekked onward. We made a quick stop at Customs and took off on our expedition around 3.30pm expecting our arrival time to be somewhere around 4 in the morning into Reykjavik. The first hour or so was filled with the basic conversation of what we do and where we come from and what put us on the ferry in the first place. 
The roads were okay along the beginning, but soon became icy which gave way to fairly deep snow. Both of us commented on how odd it was for the main road we were on to be so neglected. We shrugged it off and kept our conversation going until we saw a Subaru Outback parked in the middle of the road. It was completely dark at that point and we hadn't seen anyone else on the road so we were a bit weary when a man in a black trench coat and puffball stocking cap came trudging through the snow at us. He told us he was stuck and didn't know what to do. Unfortunately, Einar had just bought the behemoth we were traveling in and had no towing equipment to pull the man out. We tried for some minutes to push the stuck car out of its resting place to no avail and finally Einar told the man with his wife and 7 month old baby to get in with us to go to the nearest town. Along the way, Einar called a few of his Icelandic friends and found the road we were traveling on had been closed since the storm began on Monday. Luckily, there was a shoreline road we could take which would skirt us through some fjords, but would get us to the west with ease. We dropped the three from the Subaru off at a police station and made our way to the proper road and began our voyage. We lost light a couple hours earlier, so I couldn't quite get a good look at the scenery I knew was amazing around us. I kept bringing up the northern lights and, like most Icelanders, Einar told me we wouldn't see them for this reason or for that reason, but I didn't give up hope. Early on he told me his history of photography and I instantly became intrigued. When he was in his early 20s, he went to university to study the science of photography and worked for some time archiving historical photos and working in the film processing field. After that he started a few businesses, all involving photography in some capacity, and finally in 2008 started a photo tourism business. Because of this, his knowledge of Icelandic nature photography was brilliant, and we talked about ISO and aperture and the best combinations to photograph different scenes. After a while, he handed me his iPad and showed me photos he himself had taken over the past couple years. They were astonishing. As I have so many times in my life, my brain stopped and I took a second to understand how I came to where I was. What are the odds I'd be traveling with an expert photographer through Iceland? I noticed a green haze forming over some mountains on my side of the road and mentioned them to Einar, but he discounted them for something else. Within minutes, the dull green became ferocious and stretched across the sky in a brilliant scene of Icelandic beauty. Being a photographer, he immediately pulled over and told me the specs to set my camera in order to get the best shot. Neither of us had a tripod, so I tried using the hood of the trunk to get a clear picture. The wind was too strong and it rocked the vehicle just enough to cause a 10 shots or so to be blurry. We gave up and headed on down the road. Having been extremely lucky back in September, I had seen the northern lights on the plane approaching Reykjavik, but failed to see them the next three days I was on the land. That night the sky was so clear and the green was so vibrant, I couldn't keep my eyes off of them. Both of us settled into our seat, giving up the prospect of getting a shot without a tripod until we turned a corner and we saw the shot. Einar pulled over and I grabbed my camera, running across the road to a fence post which had a level top. Without being able to see where the lens was really facing, I eyeballed it and took one picture. Feeling the pressure as so much road ahead of us, I decided one was enough and ran back to the truck and we took off. The picture turned out brilliantly, for not having a tripod, for me never having shot Aurora, and for the unforgiving wind. To me, it is amazing. The next several hours are spent with Einar and I discussing every facet of our lives trying to avoid the miles which lay ahead. The roads were amazingly clear and we sped on with no difficulties. At one point after the conversation had died out, the Icelanders slammed on the brakes and startled me. You've got to see this. Pulling off the road into a completely empty gravel parking lot, I wasn't sure what there was to see. Maneuvering the truck to the edge of the lot so the high beam shone bright ahead, Einar smiled and said, This is Glacier Lagoon. I take all my clients here. What lie ahead was a floating glacier field as far as I could see. Each glacier was vastly different from the others. Some were big and blocky, while others had been worn to points and spires. They were everywhere and even in the darkness I could notice the deep blue within each glacier. I tried to snap some pictures of the light just wasn't bright enough. Some photographs are best left in our heads. 
We left the lagoon and within an hour it began to snow. Then the snow started coming down even harder and back home we would call it a blizzard. Einar wasn't the least bit phased and he slowed his speed down and kept in the tracks of an 18-wheeler we had been following for some time. It was at this point, somewhere around 1 in the morning, where I started to doze off and on. I felt bad sleeping, but he gave me the okay and I was out. I woke as we were passing Selfoss, the 8th largest town in Iceland and the place my friend from the ferry would be heading the next day. This marked the half hour left mark until Reykjavik and I still had no idea what to do about the upcoming day. Normally I booked my hostels at least a day in advance, but with all the uncertainty marking the last week I didn't want to risk wasting money. Consequently, I had nowhere to stay, and it was 4 in the morning and I was thinking of ways to get out of paying for two nights pay. Anywhere else I would have found a cafe and spent the day walking around, but the temperature was in the high 20s, and it seemed ignorant to not have a place to call home. Searching through all the resources my travels had taught me, I couldn't find any hostel open past midnight, and Einar wasn't offering me a bed at his house, nor should he, since he already had saved me $200 on travel already. As we were entering the capital, Einar asked with a bit of an irritated tone, what should we do here? On the verge of frantic, I remembered back to my first night of this trip and getting to a hostel at 2.30 in the morning and hearing a couple of girls getting in at 3. Deciding to roll the dice, I told him to go to that hostel. We arrived and the entire place was alight and my heart rose. I rang the bell three times and no one came. As high as my heart had risen, it fell even harder. Now what? I climbed into the trunk and began to think. It was then a girl ran to the door and told me they were open and I was ecstatic. I grabbed my bag and thanked Einar for everything he had done the past night and we shook hands and he told me to keep in touch. At the reception, the girl told me there were openings in every room but I decided to book a private one. The entire trip I have chosen the cheapest option. No matter how much I didn't want to or how tired I was, but it was 5 in the morning, it was my last true day in Europe, so I decided to treat myself. I have not slept that solid for some time. End of chapter.